You know, as we think about the benefit and the the blessing that we have to be able to gather here this morning, you know, there's a lot of folks in this world who cannot come together without fear of the government coming in and arresting them and carrying them off. There's a lot of folks this morning who uh, maybe they don't even own a Bible. Or even if they did, they can't read. What a blessing we have to be able to come here to not have to worry about anybody coming along and carrying us off and arresting us. We can come here, we all are able to come here with our own personal copy of God's Word in our hands. And we're all able to sit down and we're able to study God's Word together. Truly we are blessed to have these opportunities and these blessings in our life. And I think we all know that we ought to study the Bible and we want to study the Bible. And I'm sure that's many people's goal for this year. Maybe to study the Bible more this year than I did last year. Uh, To develop that habit more in my life this year than perhaps it was last year. As we study God's Word, I hope we realize that studying the Bible, it's not just to learn facts. It's not just to know facts. While that's important, to learn things, to learn these facts, But it's also important that we learn to apply those things that we are learning in our own lives. Studying the life of Jesus, it's not just some educational exercise. It's not just something we do uh, to learn something new. But it's something that we do because studying the life of our Lord is meant to change us completely. It is supposed to be a life changing experience to study and to grow and to learn from his life. So as we come to know more about Jesus, and Lord willing, in Bible classes we're going to be studying and reading the book through the book of John and studying that together, and we're going to be thinking about some practical application in some of the sermons from what we've been reading. And as we think about coming to know more about Jesus, we are all going to be faced with a decision of eternal consequence. The question in our reading this morning, will we receive Him or not? Will we, the idea is, will we take Him or not? And really the idea that we're going to get at this morning is, will we take Him for who He is? Or will we attempt to make Him what we want Him to be? Because what we learn in studying God's Word and reading about the life of our Lord is it's not just a matter of receiving Him, of taking Him. But God teaches us that we must receive Him and we must take Him for who God says He is, not who we want Him to be. So this morning as we think about will we receive Him, I hope you have your Bibles. Open with me to John chapter 1. As we go there and we think about this question of will we receive Him, in John chapter 1 verse 10, we first notice that those of the world, many people in this world, do not know Him. The text says, talking about the true light, 
talking about the Word, talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, or the world was made by Him, and the world did not know Him. Obviously, they're talking about the people of this world. He was in the world. And the idea that the writer's getting at is the one who has created this world, the one who made it all, if there was anybody that this world should have known, it was him. The one who created all. It says, and the world did not know him. And in thinking about that verse, and thinking about not just learning some fact, but, okay, how can we make application of that? How can we perhaps receive encouragement and warning from the text that is going to apply to us in our lives day to day. I want you to go with me later on in the book of John now to John chapter 18 because I want us to see an example of someone who was a worldly individual, someone who was not, I guess we could say someone who was not a religious person. And we'll see, here's the reason why the world did not know him. In John chapter 18, Jesus has been arrested. He's now been brought before Pilate. And we're going to see how Pilate interacts with Jesus and why Pilate did not know him. First of all, notice with me John chapter 18, starting with verse 36. Jesus talking to Pilate here. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth Here's my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. First of all, if you're making notes, the worldly do not know him because they are not concerned about the truth. Pilate was presented with the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Pilate was standing before the one who said, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate seemingly brushes this to the side. Pilate was not concerned about truth. Many in our world today are not concerned about the truth. They're not concerned about right and wrong. But really what tends to happen with truth nowadays is this is that person's truth and that is this person's truth. And truth is whatever you want it to be. Perhaps that's the reason Pilate said, well, what is truth? Those who are of the world, they don't know him because they are not concerned about the truth. They're not concerned about knowing the truth. It means nothing to them. Another reason that the worldly don't know Him as we go a little bit further in this reading. Notice in John chapter 19, starting with verse 10. 
When Jesus gives Pilate no answer to one of Pilate's questions, Pilate said to him, John 19 verse 10, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Pilate, with Jesus, the Son of God, the Word, standing before him, refuses to answer one of his questions. And Pilate, it seems, wants to show how powerful a man he is. He says, don't you know that I have the power to either release you or to crucify you? And Jesus simply tells him and reminds him of something that many in our country today and many in this world have forgotten is you could have no power at all unless it had been given to you from above. The folks of this world do not know him because they're not concerned about the truth and because they trust in man's power more than in God's power. They are more concerned about power here and what man can do for them here and what power we can gain here. And they're less concerned about God's power. They're less concerned about the one who has given that power in the first place. And then last under this point, the worldly do not know him. Move down to verse 12 through 16. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. The last reason that the worldly do not know him that those of this world don't know Him, is because they're not concerned about the truth. They're more concerned about man's power here than they are about God's power. And because, number three, they care more about being comfortable than doing what's right. Pilate here is presented with a scenario where he has to choose between doing what is the right thing to do releasing an innocent man or if he releases that innocent man the Jews have said this man is an enemy of Caesar and if you side with him well then where does that leave you Pilate? Are you siding with one of Caesar's enemies? That could perhaps put Pilate's comfortable position in a leadership position over these people in jeopardy. So Pilate did what was going to keep him comfortable where he was. He didn't do the right thing. 
But instead, he did what was going to keep him comfortable, what was going to keep him happy. If we're not careful today, we may be part of those who do not know him. Because at the end of the day, we are more concerned about remaining comfortable in doing whatever we want to do and living however we want to live. We're more concerned about being comfortable where we are than in doing what's right. And that's why, sadly, so many in our world today, they never come to know Him because they're not willing to give up feeling comfortable to do what's right and follow Him. We see from our text here, the worldly, those of this world, do not know Him. You go back to John chapter 1 now, and in the second place, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 11. As amazing as it may sound that the one who created this world was in the world and the world didn't know Him, even more incredible than that, verse 11 tells us, He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. The idea the text is giving to us is He came to His own things. He came to His own domain. He came to His home place, His hometown, and His own people did not receive Him. It's hard to believe the world not knowing Him, but even harder than that is His own folks not receiving Him. And these people that are being talked about here, his own people, they're the Jews. Uh, They are the religious people. They're following the Old Testament. They're studying the Old Testament. They care about what the Old Testament says. These are religious people. But these religious people do not receive him. They do not take him, even though they are his people. Why is this? Why today do sometimes the religious people not receive the Son of God? Well, first of all, you go to John chapter 3, verse 19 through verse 20. Jesus tells us one reason why some who uh, would seem religious do not receive Him, do not take Him. John chapter 3, verse 19 through verse 20. Jesus says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The first reason why religious people today may not receive him, do not receive him, is because they really love the darkness more than the light. They may put forth a a front of being religious, a front of of caring about the light, of caring about the Lord. But Jesus says here, they love darkness rather than the light. Their deeds 
are evil. And they hate the light. They don't want to come to the light because this thing that they love, this evil that they're practicing, will be exposed if they come to the light. And then they would be faced with, well, now I have to give it up. And the problem is, as Jesus said, they love the darkness more than they love the light. So they hang on to that. One reason why the religious do not receive Him, even today, is because there are some who claim to be religious people who really and truly, they love the darkness. They love what evil has to offer, what sin has to offer, more than the light and what Jesus has to offer. Another reason that the religious at times do not receive Him is another reason that we find this time in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, we find yet another reason why the religious do not receive Him. John 7, verse 40 through verse 43. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Now, they're talking about Jesus. They're trying to figure out who he is. In fact, the heading in my Bible, which is not inspired, but the heading in my Bible says, Who is he? They're trying to figure out who is Jesus. Truly, this is the prophet. It's referring back to an Old Testament prophecy about the Christ. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Some people were looking at who Jesus was and they were pointing back to these Old Testament scriptures and saying he fits what the Old Testament says. He fits these prophecies. And then others were referring to this prophecy and said, wait a minute. It says that the Christ is going to come from the seed of David, one of David's descendants. He's going to come from the town of Bethlehem. They were misinformed because, as we all well know, where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. Who was Jesus a descendant of? David. These people, while they were looking at Jesus, they heard Him. He was there. They were misinformed about the facts. They had the wrong information. This is another reason why it's so important to study God's Word is because if we are not careful, we can have the wrong information. We can be misinformed about something that is really maybe quite simple to see once we have all the pieces put together. The religious at times do not receive Him because really they love the darkness more than they love the light. Sometimes because they're just simply misinformed. They don't have all the facts. They're making a decision without the right information in front of them. Sometimes, as we read in John chapter 9, verse 13 through 16, sometimes... The religious do not receive Him because they are so attached to the traditions of men. John chapter 9, verse 13 through 16, Jesus has healed a man who was born blind. 
And they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again, the man who had been blind, how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs, do these wonders, do these miracles? And there was a division among them. Jesus, as we know from the Scriptures, never sinned. Never committed a sin. Had He actually broken the Sabbath, Jesus would have sinned. The problem here is not that Jesus had broken God's law. The problem was is what Jesus had done defied the traditions of the Pharisees. The traditions that they held so dear to the point where because of their traditions, they are saying Jesus is not from God. Why? Because He did not agree with their traditions. Jesus was not who they wanted Him to be. And as some of the others said, how can that be? How can this man, if he is a sinner, as some of them were claiming, how can he work these signs? Some religious people, good people, sincere people, do not receive Jesus because they are so attached to the traditions of men. Not to what God has said, not to what the Scriptures teach, but to what has been their religious tradition for years and years and years. Something we learn, and Lord willing, as we will study through the book of John, is that if we are going to receive Jesus, if we are going to take Him for who He is, then we cannot hold on to the traditions of men over what God has said. We must be willing to let those things go and do what God has said. And then finally, sometimes the religious do not receive Jesus. We find the last one in John chapter 12, verse 42 through 43. John 12, 42 through 43. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in Him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. This text here says, among the rulers of the people, many, many believed in Him. They believed Jesus is who He says He is. But, because they did not want to be put out of the synagogue, and to understand a little bit about what that meant, in their culture, in Jewish culture, to be put out of the synagogue was essentially to be cast out of society. That was the, the hub of everything they did. To be kicked out of the synagogue meant you were going to lose your place in the society that you had known your whole life. They knew who He was. 
They believed who He was. But God says they didn't confess Him. Ultimately, because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And even today, this can be a very challenging obstacle for people to overcome in becoming a Christian. Some people will believe everything that the Scriptures say. They will know what they need to do to obey the Gospel and to live faithfully for the Lord. But because they know there are some people who would give them a very hard time, they never obey what they know to be true and what they know to be right. And Jesus says they care too much about what man thinks and not enough about what God thinks. We have to be very careful. All of these mindsets that we've considered up to this point, we have to be very careful and we have to examine ourselves to make sure that, that one of these does not fit us. Because all of these really are reasons why these people did not receive the Lord. They did not take Him for who He was. Now, we think about our question then this morning. What about us? Will we receive Him? Will we take Him? You go to what our original text says in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. As we think about this question of will we receive Him? John writes, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right, or to them He gave the authority to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. We think about two things that we have to keep in our mind that we must do in order to receive Him. To receive Him, we must come to know Him, to know who He is. Go with me to John chapter 13. Jesus here makes a very important point about the importance of knowing Him. John chapter 13, verse 15 through verse 17. Jesus here, He's washed His apostles' feet, and now He's explaining to them why He has done this. He says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. To receive the Lord, to take Him for who He is, first we must come to know Him. A comment was made in class maybe a couple weeks ago, and it's a very good comment, and a comment that something we should all think about. How can we follow someone that we do not know? How can we become more like someone that we do not know? If we are going to become more like Jesus, then we must come to know Him. Not for who we want Him to be, but come to know Him as God says He is in His Word. To receive Him, we must come to know Him. 
and to receive Him, we must submit to His authority. Whatever He says is what we will do. In John chapter 12, our final passage this morning, John chapter 12, verse 48 through 50, in thinking about His authority, Jesus says, He who rejects Me and does not receive My words has that which judges Him. The word that I have spoken will judge Him in the last day. For I have not spoken on My own authority, but the Father who sent Me gave Me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. If we are going to receive Him, we must submit to His authority. We cannot receive Jesus and say, I like what Jesus teaches here, and I like what Jesus teaches there, but I don't like this other thing over here. If we are going to receive Him and submit to Him and follow Him, then we must submit to Him completely. Not just in the areas that we deem worthy or in the places that we choose He's worth submitting to, but in every aspect, we must submit to Him. As we get ready to close this morning, I, I think I left a spot in your, in your handout, if you have room there, for personal application. And in thinking about this sermon, what I intend to apply in my life the best I can, and I encourage you as well, I will dedicate myself to receiving and submitting to Jesus for who God says He is and not who I want Him to be. Because see, the problem is, if we try to make Jesus who we want Him to be, then what we have really done is we have made Jesus, we have, we have made an idol in our mind if we try to turn Jesus into who we want Him to be. Because then we're no longer serving the God of Scripture, but we're serving the God of our own creation, which is, as God says, an idol. So let us all commit to receiving and submitting to Jesus for who God says He is, not who we may wish He is or not who we want Him to be. We think about our, our lesson this morning. If we are trying to make Jesus what we want Him to be, then we will never be able to receive Him. If we are too concerned about remaining comfortable in this world and, and living the life that pleases us in this world, then we will never be able to receive Him. Will we commit ourselves to knowing Him as He truly is, revealed in the Word of God, and submitting ourselves to Him in every way? If we will do that, then we will receive Him. And we will be, as he says in John 1, 12 and 13, we will be the children of God. Now there in that passage, he talks about being born. Jesus spends some more time talking about that in John 3, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks, Lord willing. Jesus says there, though, we must, if we wish to enter the kingdom of heaven, one must be born of water and of the Spirit, must be born again. 
the way the Scriptures lay out that we are born again, as was preached in the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2, as Peter said to the crowd there when they asked, what shall we do? He said, repent and be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the ones who gladly received His Word were baptized, were immersed. This morning, to obey the Gospel, this is a commitment you must make. And that walk with God begins upon repenting of your sin, confessing Christ to be the Son of God, and being immersed in water into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are a Christian, and you've thought about these things this morning, and you realize as you think about your life, that you have some of these areas we've talked about describe you more closely than you would like them to. And I would encourage you, repent of those things. You can go back to what the Word has to say, to what God has to say in His Word. You can repent of those things and go back and focus once again on who we are supposed to be and who we are supposed to be like.